Hey podcast friends, Eddie here. I want to invite you to Hawaii to join us for a Faith and Friends event. This will take place May 3rd to the 12th. We simply want to create a space where we can go beyond Zoom calls or FaceTime and actually do life together as friends in real life. And we'll get to pray together, sing together, worship together, and who knows, maybe even getting a little bit annoyed together. <laughs> actually, that last one is a guarantee because if you decide to join us for Faith and Friends, not only are you going to get to meet Jayla and I, but also my boys, Micah and Luca, and I know, I know, kids aren't for everyone, but let me tell you, these dudes are amazing. Anyway, for the past year, my family and I have had the privilege to open our home to so many people from all over the world and introduce them not only to the beauty of Hawaii, but to the beauty of good gospel. So during our time together, we'll spend time paddleboarding together, hiking, hanging out at the beach, and even playing board games. So as you can tell, the whole reason we're hosting this event is to be together, to experience life with the people you might see or hear about on the internet, but in real life. So come, build your faith, explore paradise, and gain a new perspective on all that Jesus has done for you. Register at lovereality.org events. That's lovereality.org events. Welcome back to The Move, where I've been through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible that Jacob uses his ugly wife as a human shield for his good-looking wife. If you're wondering where in the world I'll be talking about, we're looking at Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 20, hanging out with Ben Williams today. Ben, there are some weird things that we've read in the Bible, and using mm-hmm. your ugly wife as a human shield for your good-looking wife, well, that's that's near the top. I don't know. Can we have a top of the list when there's so many weird stories? Here's yet another one. Using your wife as a human shield. What is going on? Catch our listeners up. This might actually be the first episode that someone ever listens and they've missed Mm. the previous 50 episodes before this or however many they are. So give us a summary of what's happening up to this point and give us an understanding as why the human shield. What's going on here? Yeah, so in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob is... For, so he's the good guy in the Bible, but also the bad guy also in the Bible. This other guy who abused him and is now saying, I want to go back and live with my family. And so in his story where he keeps deceiving his brother, he keeps on just doing rough stuff. And basically Jacob has gone, lived with the, where we see, where we pick up in this story is he's on his way. He just wrestled with like presumably God who poked him in the hip and he's kind of crippled at this point. And... Now Jacob has these two wives and he's about to meet up with his brother, but he he's like, man, my brother, good chance he's probably going to kill me. So what he does is he puts his servants in the front. Then he puts Leah, his wife, who he doesn't like as much, next. And then he puts Rachel, his favorite wife, and his favorite son, Joseph, all the way in the back so that if anything actually bad happens, then maybe his, his favorite wife is going to get away while everyone else is getting slaughtered by his brother. So... Pretty sad, but he's doing it presumably because in the beginning of 33, it says that Esau was coming with a group of 400 men. And in that time, the number 400 was the typical standard amount if you're going to have a militia or a small army. So he thinks, one, my brother probably hates me because of everything I did to him. Two, he's heading towards me with a militia. Yeah. Definitely going to have to use a shield to try to protect Rachel. So Leah, can you imagine being Leah? Where your husband Man. comes in and is like, hey, you're going in front. And she's like, "What? why Why can't I go in the back with Rachel? I was like, mm, probably better if you're in front. Yeah, you just stand <laughs> up there. <laughs> like, that's so sad. It's terribly but it's what sad. 
it, it is what happened. And this is just the story that we have to wrestle with nowadays. Um, as I was reading through the story today, uh, something leapt out of me and I'm going to run it past you. And I don't know if I'm crazy or not. You can totally tell me I'm crazy and say that I got this wrong. And maybe there's something else we want to talk about. And that's fine. That's fair. Like not all my ideas are good ones. Not even most of my <laughs> ideas are good ones, but here's a idea. You can judge it uh, on its own merits. When I was reading this story, I was hearing the story of the prodigal son being played out. Definitely. I, I felt like there was a lot of callbacks to the story that Jesus is telling about the prodigal son. Of course, uh, many of you guys know it. There's the idea the father has two kids. The younger kid's like, dad, I hate you. Screw you. I want my money. And he leaves. He ends up like spending all his money in a really foolish way and then comes back trying to position himself as a servant. If you're not familiar with the sermon... You got to check out the sermon, uh, the the Wave One, uh, uh, what's it called Love Reality Tour message. It's a fantastic message, it's, and I'm really butchering the story. But I kept thinking about this for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a younger brother who, in one way or the other, steals the older's blessings in, in a certain respect. Uh, the result of it is an estranged relationship. There's separation. There's division that takes place. The third thing is that upon return, the younger son is really fearful for his life. Um, you know, in this in the story of the prodigal son, it's the stoning of the elders and all the kind of the city people who really should be, you know, executing judgment on this guy. There's an attempt to position themselves rightly through bribery or the word that Jonathan has been using this uh, season, strategery. And then there's this really interesting thing where now you get a glimpse into the heart of God, specifically the, the, the part in this passage, I know that you're really excited about this one, where, where basically he says, like, seeing you smile is like me seeing the face of God. So mm -hmm. there were certain elements here. I was like, wow, this feels like a, an overlapping of a story. And I'm wondering, is there some merit here? Is there something there that I'm missing? I don't know. Yeah, 100%. And I think that when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, I really think that he was trying to reference back to the story at some level. And I've never Ooh. read that in scholardom. I've never read that in a commentary anywhere. That's just my own thought because of how similar the language even is. Because hmm. if you see, so basically what happens is Jacob starts bowing down seven times, like, and he would have been going all the way down to the ground, literally trying to just be like, if you're going to kill me, don't kill Rachel, kill Leah, whatever, just don't kill me or don't kill hmm. uh, Rachel. And like, he's like going all the way down to the ground thinking my life is over. And it says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Yeah. And this is literally the exact same phrases that happens. Like, this is what happens. The father sees him a far way off runs to him, embraces him, falls on his neck and kisses him. Because again, in that story and in this story, the idea of a kiss is for, is one forgiveness and reconciliation. So when mm -hmm. Esau kisses Jacob and when the father kisses the younger son, he is literally forgiving him and reconciling their relationship before there's ever like a, hey, sorry, I did this thing. Hey, sorry. Like, you know, I'm, I'm guessing Jacob had all of these like planned out. Well, I have all of this stuff for you. Please forgive me. But they're not, they like cut them off. Hmm. Because the forgiveness and reconciliation come not because of any kind of gift or manipulation or, as John would say, strategery, <laughs> but purely because of the favor and the love of one, the older brother, and two, the father. And I do, I love it. And I, I love what you said there because it says, for I have, in uh, verse 10, this idea, he says, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. This hmm. idea of like that Esau actually becomes a Jesus figure because he treats Jacob in the same way that God treats everyone with mm. acceptance and love. Not, like, and I love this picture of Esau not being able to control himself, but run to his brother because of his love for him. 
Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of people think of God as kind of this like crossed arms, like, I don't know, like you've been pretty disappointing this past week. Like really <laughs> wish you could start doing better. But like what we don't realize is that God sees us and the minute he sees us, like he cannot physically control mm-hmm. himself because he just wants to run and embrace us and let us know, man, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the the imagery that I've had is that, you know, the elevators are closing, God's on the elevator, <laughs> and ru- we're running towards the elevator, and he's smashing the door close button. Like, that, sometimes that's how we feel <laughs> that God so is when it comes to our, our being reconciled to us. Like, he's smashing the door closed, but then Jesus is like, yo, 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 dude, like, let's hold the door open for this guy. And, and it's like this really terrible picture of who God is, but scriptures reveal that God's not willing that anyone's perishing, right? Like, he, mm-hmm. he's he's wanting and hoping that all will come back to him. And so I love that this is highlighted and, and, and it, at, it causes me to think about what was going on in Esau's life up to this point. Because right now the story, the narrative is really focused on Jacob and it, we see the hardships that he's gone through. We see the way that his strategy has backfired him on multiple occasions, how he's been taken advantage of. It makes sense why he would be like the prodigal son, like, man, you know what, if I was just even a servant back at home, my life would be better. Like, And, and so we get an understanding as to why he's feeling yeah. so like move to come back home even at the peril of his own life for at least what he thinks it is but what is Esau going through like what has been happening in his life that now he's able to model this kind of Christ-like figure in the heart of his Mm. father where he's able to run towards him even looking foolish in front of 400 of the strongest men in his village like Mm -hmm. he's willing to to subject himself to shame he's willing to embrace to kiss to to just accept him before there's any pleading or gifts or any of these kinds of things in fact we see here that that's not important to him and so one of the questions that I have when when we get to go to heaven, we get to talk to Esau. I was like, yo, bro, tell me the story. Like, what went mm. down? Yeah, like, where did you learn this? Like, where did you learn, like, love that's unconditional? Like, what did what was Esau going through? What was your story? Yeah, I wonder. That will be interesting because, yeah, he, I've never thought about, I don't, mm. I don't know. But some <laughs> definitely something because he yeah. literally grew into the character of Christ. And I, I love throughout the Old Testament, we'll see this and continue to see it that often these stories that we would say kind of are like villain characters, like, cause Esau kind of plays a villain character. Like, Hey, I'm going to murder my brother type of character. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. often God loves to do this thing where he actually redeems them and has them then play himself. Like we mm-hmm. think about like Judah later on. And we think about, I mean, just over and over and here very clearly, like this, this villain character becomes the actual image of God. That's crazy. But, but isn't that the beauty of the gospel is that there's yeah. the beauty of a transformed life, right? Is that, yeah. yes, those of us who have been the villains in many other storylines, that maybe through the grace of God, we have the ability to be a reflector of, of his character, much like Esau in this, in this story. Yeah, definitely. And, and something that, that comes to my mind, and I don't have a res- revolution or resolution to this thought, so maybe you do. We'll see what happens. <laughs> There's this curve, his brother. Crazy thing where like, I mean, the prophecy was that Esau was going to, right? And he, like his, Esau was going to be the one that is going to like have to be his servant and all of that stuff. And the roles wow. actually kind of get re- get reversed. Like they get, they get reversed in the way that like now Jacob is coming to him. And Jacob mm. is the one that's like groveling towards him. And I wonder if there's any level of like, I don't know. Like maybe this plan kind of got 
thwarted let me, at some let me try this on if yeah. esau is in fact the christ figure in this story right Ooh. when we think about what jesus has done jesus has humbled himself he became the servant he's the one who extended yeah. forgiveness without any other prompting from us like yeah. he is the servant figure he is the christ figure in this moment yeah like this is maybe not in the same way but it's the same spirit that caused jesus to get on his knees to put the towel on and to wash the mm. feet of those who would betray him and leave him and you know curse him and all the different things like he is serving but maybe not in the way that that prophecy would have been interpreted like doom like oh man Ooh, like i'm gonna be his yeah. servant i'm gonna have to peel the grapes for him and fan him when he's hot it's like no no you get to have this position of honor because now you get to embody the Christ figure. You get to embody the servant nature of Jesus in the way that you extend reconciliation to your brother. Yeah, and if you think about it too, like in those days, they would have thought being a servant means that I'm going to be less than someone. Right. But we actually do see, yeah, you're right. Like in the kingdom, servanthood does not mean less than. Mm -hmm. Servanthood means literally portraying the Christ like the the picture of Christ to other people. And so like, I wonder, yeah, that's interesting. Like we expect to see, oh, well, Esau was going to serve his brother Jacob. So that means he's going to be lesser, but like, he's not like, he doesn't mm -hmm. end up being lesser, no. but he does end up serving. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I think that says something to like where we can literally serve other people. And, and often it's so weird. We often mm. think like serving means we're less than serving means like my time isn't worth it. And like, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I'm the one that has to clean up after everybody. I'm the one that has to do this. I'm the one that has to do that. I bet everyone like just thinks I'm less than that's why they have like, no man, like serving doesn't make you less than like serving means that you're able to actually show a picture of Christ's face to other people. And like, what Ooh. a gift is that? Yeah. That, and there's, there's the tie in there's when I see you smile, I see the face mm. of God. You're, I think that's, yeah. that's absolutely it. If there's a take home, maybe I mean, there's multiple take homes, obviously, because the scripture is a million and one lessons I'm sure we could learn, but that stands to, stands out to me as a take home is that when mm. we serve and we do it with a smile on our face, it can actually be the way that others get to see the face of God. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's such a gift. I think, I mean, I, I think it's beautiful too. If you think about it, if we think of Christ in this way, there's a, there's a big parallel to me because there's this whole thing where we believe like Jesus is coming again and he's going to bring a host of angels and it's going to be dope and all this kind of stuff. But if you are afraid of Jesus because you think he's coming to kill you, mm. like that is an extremely scary thought because you think this big host is actually coming to exterminate you. Right. But if we rightly understand who God is, then him bringing 400 people is actually super exciting because it's a celebration. Mm. Because if you read on in this story, after they have their whole like exchange and stuff like that, Esau says, hey, I basically brought these people so that they can protect you on the rest of your journey. And like, I mean, think about this. If he's bringing 400 people and you guys have a bad relationship, you should be afraid. Yeah. But if if your best friend who loves you more than anyone who always wants to serve you and help you is bringing 400 people, then you're hyped because you got a lot of more help now. You got more help with yeah. all those kids. You got help with all those sheep. Like you got help with everything. And like realizing that this is the same, like this is where we really need to get our minds straight on why Jesus is coming back and who Jesus is to me. Mm. Because if I'm not straight on that, then I'm super stressed and worried when I start to think Jesus is coming back. Yeah. And what I like to tell people is, if when I say Jesus is coming back again soon and you have any kind of worry or anxiety in your heart and you have like wonderment of like, what does that mean for me? Then you are still 
like literally living according to what you have. In this story, as well as in the whole entire Bible, sorry if you hear that rain, it is done and according to the flesh, like looking at yourself to see whether or not you're good enough. <laughs> but in ever about that, like when we look at Jesus returning again, what qualifies us to actually go with him is that he can't control himself, but run straight towards you. Like that is what qualifies me. That's why I'm excited that he's bringing a host of angels. That's why I'm excited that there's a militia coming with them because I know the character and the love of the one that's coming. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. That's so good. You know, guys, I wanted to uh, let you guys know about tomorrow's episode. One of the questions that we had from our patrons, by the way, shout out to our patrons was maybe we should start figuring out how to work in like, hey, on our next episode, read these verses ahead. And I was like, duh, that's brilliant. Why haven't we been working that into the series? So I don't know the answer yet, but we're gonna have to try and figure out a way to have a nice, neat tie off to an episode and say somehow, hey, this is what next week's episode or tomorrow's episode is. Uh, So tomorrow, if you want to read ahead, uh, so we're gonna talk about a very, very interesting story. Read Genesis chapter 34 verses one through 31. I don't know, Ben, is there anything else that we want to say? We've been doing some fun things behind the scenes. You've been working on your brand new church over there. I know that you guys do some Bible studies. Is there anything else that's worth kind of mentioning to those who are listening right now? I don't know if I have any plugs, but my one plug is this. Believe in Jesus, man. (laughs) (laughs) Believe in his love for you. (laughs) That is the best plug that I can give you. Like more than any book, more than any, any like Bible study you can go to. Like, man like really start reflecting on his love. And you, if you feel like you have a hard time, like accepting it, if you have a hard time thinking, man, like Jesus sees me this way, like pray that the Holy Spirit will come and take the knowledge that we're giving you through this podcast and actually turn it into revelation in your heart. And because, I mean, it will literally change everything. Hmm. Amen and amen. Ben, it sounds like the rain's really coming down out there. If you see an old (laughs) dude uh, building a boat and a bunch of animals heading towards it, you might want (laughs) to pack your bags. I don't know what's going on, but I wish you the best. Look for the high ground. I don't know, but I hope you survive the torrential downpouring that I'm hearing through the speakers. Thank you.